please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello and welcome to the latest NAM Talks and what a NAM Talk we have for you this morning. But before I introduce our special guest speaker, please be aware that we have live translations available by clicking on the interpretation button below. In addition, if you have any questions, you can always contact us via our corporate email, which is nodiafunds at nodia.com. Now then, I think we can all agree that 2022 has been a horrible year for the markets. We've seen huge amounts of volatility, and that volatility has been driven mainly by uncertainties um, around global inflation, and of course then how the monetary authorities would respond to that. So today what we're going to do is break down what's been going on in the markets, and more importantly, look where, at where we're likely heading uh, in the months ahead. So for that, I am joined from New York by Mackay Shields senior macroeconomist, Stephen Friedman. Good morning, Stephen. Morning, thanks for having me. Hey, so Stephen, um, there's been a lot of debate in the markets about whether the US economy can achieve a soft landing from here, or if perhaps recession is the more likely outcome. So I was wondering which side of the fence you're on. Yeah, I've actually been in the recession camp uh, for some time now. I think the prospects for a soft landing are very, very limited. And the reason for that is that when we look at the history, when the US has had soft landings, it's typically been in cases where inflation is either low or in the process of significantly moderating. So yeah. for example, if we look at the, the famous Greenspan soft landing of the mid 1990s, that occurred in a disinflationary environment Core PC inflation was only around 2% uh, at, at that time. So that afforded Greenspan the flexibility to cut rates and pivot on focusing on, on, on supporting growth uh, and set aside, if you will, concerns about inflation. This is a very, very different environment. Uh, inflation remains uh, entrenched. It's very, very high. And the Fed is focused on bringing it down. That means the Fed is going to have very, very little flexibility uh, this time around to pivot and focus on signs of softening growth. In addition, if we think about this from a risk management perspective, the Fed sees the costs of, of not getting inflation under control uh, much more significant uh, than the cost of potentially throwing the economy into a recession. So uh, when we think about this from a risk management perspective, that also argues for the Fed staying on, uh, on the path of continuing to tighten rates. Uh, the final point I would make is that historically, when the Fed takes the policy rate up above an estimate of its neutral level, invariably a recession follows. The policy stance is already in restrictive territory compared to current estimates of neutral. And if, if you look at this chart, we can see that markets are suggesting that there's, there's quite a bit more tightening to go. And what is that neutral policy rate? What does that actually mean? That's a, that's a good question. So that's, first of all, it's not an observed policy rate. You cannot see it, but it's an estimate of the rate uh, that is that would keep the economy basically performing along its, uh, its long-term trend, with stable prices and full employment. And that estimate of the neutral policy rate has been falling uh, in, in recent decades. So that means that as the Fed gets the policy rate uh, just up to two, three, eventually four, maybe even 5%, you're actually going into fairly restrictive territory. And as you can also see from this chart, when the Fed gets the policy rate above that estimate of neutral, inevitably you have a recession. 
So I wanted to quote someone. Uh, Milton Freeman is famous for saying that inflation is always and everywhere uh, a monetary phenomenon. But that said, isn't much of the inflation that the US is experiencing more related to supply sh shortages, uh, some of that stemming from the pandemic, as well as obviously the high energy and, and food prices. So that being the case, how does rising rates address those issues? That's a great question. And this is something that the Fed has been very, very focused on over the last year or so. And you're absolutely right. That's the, the inflation that we've seen, there is a good portion of it that is has been driven by supply side constraints and also, of course, um, very high energy and food prices. And then raising rates really doesn't do anything about those types of inflation. The, the problem is that as the Fed uh, pours through the, the data, what they're seeing is that inflation has become very entrenched in the economy. It's both in services and in goods. Now, one way that we can think about how broad inflation has become is if we look at this measure here on the left-hand side, which is trimmed mean inflation. And this is a measure that's each month, it's just looking at the, the prices of goods and services kind of in the middle of the distribution. It throws out outliers. Those prices that rise by, by a lot or by very, very little. And then by just focusing on that middle two thirds of the distribution, it gives you a good sense of underlying inflation trends. And if, if we look at trim mean CPI inflation, we see that it's just you know, at levels that we haven't seen in, in many, many decades. So that shows how entrenched inflation has become. And where it's really showing up now is in services. And service inflation does tend to be related to where you are in the business cycle and the strength of the labor market. So the Fed feels pretty strongly that this is the type of inflation that they can firmly control with tighter policy that is going to weigh on aggregate demand. So if the Fed has to sort of actively slow the economy in order to bring down inflation, presumably they'll be looking at a, a sort of wide range of indicators to help guide them. But I guess the biggest question is, you know, how high do you think unemployment rate has to get for them to be happy? Right. So what I like to do is uh, put in the different goods and services that, that we consume into two different buckets. Yeah. One is called cyclically sensitive inflation. And that's where you put all the goods and services whose prices do have some relationship to the business cycle and the strength in the labor market. And that's what I show in this, this chart here. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm showing all the observations for cyclically sensitive inflation uh, going back uh, to 1995. Uh, and for each of those points, I'm showing the contemporaneous unemployment rate. So not surprisingly, since this is cyclically sensitive inflation, we do see a relationship here. We can uh, recover a Phillips curve. Now, uh, the lighter shaded uh, observations are for the pre-COVID period. The darker mm -hmm. observations are for uh, 2020 uh, up to the present. Mm -hmm. And when we look at it this way, we can see that the Phillips curve has not only shifted up, but it's steepened quite a bit. So to your question, to get cyclically sensitive inflation, which is about 40, 45% of everything that uh, we uh, consume here in the US, to get that down to a level of like two or 3% that's more uh, consistent with the Fed's inflation goal, that's going to re require taking the unemployment rate at least up to 5%, if not significantly higher. So uh, this just tells you, uh, this is just a nice framework for thinking about the type of slowdown that the Fed needs to engender to be certain that inflation is back at 2% on a sustainable basis. Okay, so of course they're, they're linked, but we've focused a bit there on, on the inflation side. But right at the beginning, you mentioned that recession is your, your base case scenario. So I guess the natural question then is like, how deep and protracted do you think that recession will be? And how would you expect then monetary and fiscal policy to respond to that recession? So I think there's a strand of thought out there that we don't see a lot of imbalances in the US economy. This isn't like 2007, 2008. 
and therefore this recession is going to be quite mild. I actually take issue with that argument. I think it will be a, a fairly mo moderate, that is more than just a mild recession. Okay. What does that mean? Uh, those, I, I know I'm, I'm mincing words here, a bit of parsing the language a bit, but to me, that means you know, the unemployment rate is probably gonna go up to say 6% or so. So overshooting what, what, what actually needs to happen to bring down inflation, because I do think the Fed will wind up over tightening. Um, and I think we'll see a decline in real GDP next year in the order of uh, half a percent to a full percentage point. And that's similar to what we saw in the 1990 recession. And tellingly, that was followed by what was called the jobless recovery. And I expect something similar, maybe not jobless, but I think it will be a, a sluggish recovery that takes time to gather steam. Why is that? It's because we will have a lack of policy support. And that's rooted in the lessons that the Fed took uh, from the great inflation. Uh, for example, if we look at this chart here, um, that shows um, the policy rate and inflation uh, in the 1970s and 1980s under uh, Chairman Burns and then Volcker, we see a very, very different policy response. response. <clears throat> Chairman Burns in the mid 70s, as the economy started to slow, cut rates to focus on growth. And he brought the uh, policy rate down below the rate of inflation. And not surprisingly, inflation uh, only declined to around 5% and stayed there. And then later in the decade, inflation rose again. Mm -hmm. So then Volcker comes to power and he engineers uh, not one, but two recessions in the early 1980s. And even yeah. after those recessions, he keeps the policy rate above the rate of inflation for the entire decade. And there was a period that was associated with, with pretty extended labor market slack. So the Fed today looks at this record and says, you know, we want to be like Paul Volcker. Uh, and we know that the way to get inflation back to 2% sustainably is to keep the policy stance tight for a, a, an extended period of time. So that means when the recession comes, the Fed isn't going to pivot to rate cuts. It's going to keep the policy uh, rate in restrictive territory for some time. That means uh, more than just a mild recession, and it means a sluggish recovery as well. And I would also add that on the fiscal side, I don't expect a lot of support, given that we'll go into next year, likely with divided government after the midterm elections, and also after some of the uh, fiscal experiments, if you will, uh, in the COVID period, I think fiscal policy is generally out of favor at present. So, so then I've got a quick follow-up question because you just mentioned the midterms which is obviously just coming up now um be interesting to understand you know from your perspective what the issues are that are likely to drive uh, the the voter turnout but also the voter preferences and also you know what does that mean then for the likely outcomes in terms of policy very good question so uh when voters are asked what's really top of mind for them and by and large what 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 um Voters are focused on is the economy and inflation in particular, yeah. uh, and crime is very high on the list as well. Okay. And those are two things that will play to Republican strengths uh, uh, in, in the coming midterms. There are a number mm -hmm. of, of social issues um, that will drive Democratic turnout probably to very, very high levels. Uh, but at the end of the day, we go into the midterms with a president whose favorability ratings are very, very low. They're hovering in, in the low to mid 40s. Mm -hmm. and if history is a guide, history tells us that when you go into midterm elections with a president who is fairly unpopular, uh, his party tends to lose uh, seats in both uh, chambers of Congress. So I think the most likely outcome is one in which uh, Republicans gain control of one or both chambers of Congress. So what does that mean? Well, divided government, it, it typically means that not a lot is going to get done over the next two years. Um, and generally speaking, markets see that in a favorable light, but do keep in mind uh, our discussion about uh, a coming recession with divided government. I think there's just uh, uh, less support for households uh, that we can expect this time around. Uh, also, the parties do have to agree on some important fiscal issues like uh, 
most importantly, um, raising the debt ceiling. Um, and that's always a contentious issue and it's harder to resolve when you have divided government. Thankfully, that's probably not gonna be an issue until we get into next summer, but it is going to be something that the markets will be quite focused on when we get there. Yeah, it tends to always be the last minute before they actually reach a agreement. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Stephen, um, it's become really expensive for us Europeans to come and visit America. And I can tell you actually this year, this summer, uh, we, we had a lot of American tourists here in, in Europe. What are your dollar expectations? I mean, do you think there's still room for, for more strengthening against other currencies or do you think most of it's behind us now? Well, Paul, I, unfortunately, I don't have good news in terms of um, price of coming to the United States in, in, the, in the coming months. Uh, I, I think most of the dollar move is behind us, but I think they're still a little bit more ahead of us uh, with inflation prints as strong as they are in the US. Uh, we still have fairly aggressive tightening uh, to come. In fact, after the most recent uh, uh, CPI print, I think there's a, a good chance that in the, the next two FOMC meetings, and we have one you know, just around the corner, we yeah. could see 75 basis point rate increases in two next two meetings alone with some additional tightening uh, early next year. Uh, at the same time, you know, we're seeing this coordinated global tightening in monetary policy, and yeah. that is leading to some instability in markets. Uh, so risk aversion is on the rise as well. So I think that is going to favor uh, uh, the dollar uh, uh, as, as well, at least for the next several months. And you just touched on, a, on an important point there. Let's just assume that there are going to be more rate hikes uh, in the months ahead. And then we're combining that with your base case scenario. So mounting odds of a, of a downturn. How's that going to have an impact on credit markets? What's, what's your expectations in that respect? So we do anticipate that we will see some continued spread widening from here mm -hmm. in both investment grade and, and high yield credit. Um, mm -hmm. So in the short term, that's the bad news for investors. But yeah. you know, there is a very strong silver lining here. And, and that's that now yields have risen quite significantly uh, in the corporate market. So that means uh, as we go into recession, as eventually uh, the Fed um, uh, um, stops raising rates and eventually uh, begins cutting rates and that so is the seed for the following expansion. There are really, really good opportunities here. Uh, and that's something that we're very focused on, thinking about when that recession comes uh, and when is, when is the, the pivot point, if you will, uh, in which portfolio should be repositioned uh, and to take advantage of those opportunities that we're starting to see in credit markets. So there are reasons to be optimistic on the opportunities in credit, but perhaps not in the short term. Not immediately. And, and you know, to be honest, uh, over the medium term, there is a reason to be optimistic about the economy as well, because at the end of the day, we can say that uh, in the U.S. and certainly in a number of other um, uh, countries, and that's certainly the case in Europe, we have central banks that take their inflation mandates extremely seriously, uh, and they are committed to getting inflation back down uh, to their targets. Uh, and I don't doubt that credibility at all. Getting there, sure, it's going to be a, a, a rocky process, but I have no doubt that we will get there. Great. Well, what I'm going to do now, Stephen, is just um, bring up the key takeaways. And then what I usually do is at the end, I'll just ask you if you've got any comments that you'd like to add. But let's have a look at the key takeaways from this morning. And the first one was that your base case scenario is um, a moderate recession in 2023. And that is mainly due to um, a lack of policy support. The second point was that the Fed will be looking to tackle service industry inflation. And that's something that has, has recently come to light. So look out for that. 
And also, we should expect um, a divided government in the US after the midterm elections, which happen next month. And finally, bad news for any holidaymakers hoping to go to the US. We expect to see continued dollar strength versus other currencies, and that's likely in the months ahead. So that's it for my wrap up. Um, as I said, is there anything you'd like to add to that, Stephen? Well, I would just add that the strategies that we manage for Nordea, they are in the US and global credit space. And those strategies incorporate a top-down macro view in, into their investment process. So we began repositioning portfolios for a slowdown and a possible recession earlier this year. And I believe that that leaves us well positioned to take advantage of opportunities in credit markets over time as spreads continue to widen. Yeah, exactly. I, I always think of uh, Mackay shares. When I think of Mackay shares, I think of macro, top down, and I think of winning by not losing. Those are the... <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And uh, of course, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yes, thank you for having me. Enjoy the discussion. Thanks a lot. Before we sign off, if you're looking for more information on our views and investment solutions, please do go and visit www. Nordea Asset Management, that's all written together, dot com. That's it for this month. I'll see you in November.